You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression, issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. The hymn, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Of course, the word of God is our sole authority, and it's Christ's authority as well. So we find in this coming Sunday, according to the three-year lectionary, that Jesus' authority is being challenged. Then he tells the parable of the two sons. Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. It's time to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. Pastor Sean Denzer joins us. He's Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back. Great to be back, Todd. Where does the gospel reading for today take place, and why is that important? Well, it takes place in Jerusalem, near the temple. So Jesus actually has just cleared the temple after riding humbly on a donkey into Jerusalem. That matters because... Everything is coming to a head the closer Jesus gets. And we're now into Holy Week when all of this teaching and all of this conversation has happened. So it's heightened by the fact that Jesus is approaching his mission, you might say, to suffer and die for the sins of the world and to rise again to give us a certainty of eternal life. So we don't want to forget that. We don't want to uh, ignore it. But we also want to see how As Jesus gets closer to this, all of the forces align to stop him, to oppose him, to despise him when he's doing what is most significant about his time on earth. So I think we just want to keep that in mind as we look at today's readings. It's good to note that in our trajectory in Matthew's gospel, we have passed over quite a bit of significant material between last week and this week. So we passed over Jesus' third prediction of his passion that really points us you know, to the purpose of Jerusalem, that he's going to go up, that it's not a surprise to him. This is part of his authority that the Son of Man goes not as men determine for him, but as he himself is in command of. He he lays down his life for his sheep, as John says. And even in Matthew's gospel, that doesn't take quite as much of a focus on Jesus being in charge of all things during Holy Week. Certainly, the authority is going to be seen here, and we're even going to make reference to the end of Matthew's gospel, where it's a key part of Jesus' final words to the disciples. We also have skipped over kind of a challenge to authority with James and John asking for the seats on the right and the left of Jesus, to which, of course, Jesus responds, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We actually never hear that from Matthew in any of the years of the lectionary. 
we do hear it next year from Mark's gospel, uh, a parallel passage. And then the triumphal entry into Jerusalem that we're very familiar with. We hear that every year on Palm Sunday from Matthew's gospel or on the first Sunday in Advent. And then his cleansing of the temple and his cursing of the fig tree, which is enacted right there and is kind of a startling, which shows his power and his authority right then and there. The authority of one who's looking even to the end times and to judgment. And it's on the heels of this then that Jesus is challenged by the scribes and teachers and chief priests. You say there's a, a little bit of disconnect in some of the readings because the gospel's been shortened and also the center of the epistle has been omitted. What are you talking about there? Well, there's just a lot of options if you look at your hymnal for this Sunday to skip, yeah, like we mentioned, the middle part of the epistle or to skip the end of the gospel, really the whole second half. It's kind of a two-parter. Interestingly, that the Revised Common Lecture in the Roman Catholic Church in this case don't give those options. This is one of the few places, and I haven't been able to understand quite exactly why, that the LSB version of the three-year gives the option of having less. I can't really recommend that because I think in particular in the gospel reading, if we cut it short, we'll lose some key connections to this Old Testament reading from Ezekiel about repentance, about the Lord seeking people who will repent, who will hear his word, even when that word calls them to account. Likewise, the omission of that center part of the epistle is difficult. Maybe it's because it's trying to avoid a phrase we'll discuss a little bit, where it says that we should work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, which certainly has been misunderstood by many to try and contradict the scriptures. But that's no good reason to ignore it or avoid it. Likewise, if we do cut that section out, we will miss the example of Christ Jesus's humility on which the whole therefore of the second part of the epistle is based. So I think we really want to have that, especially since we haven't, unless you've done your homework as the listeners are doing now, you haven't heard Jesus' entry into Jerusalem humble on a donkey, which is still very much in our minds when it's his authority that's challenged. In that vein of authority, what general theme should we be looking for here in these propers? Definitely the challenge from the Jewish leaders, as we'll see, is by whose authority do you do all this stuff, Jesus? That's going to be the question. We'll notice that the authority in particular has to do with judgment. The Old Testament will make that clear as well. And that's certainly what we have in mind even when Jesus says at the end of the gospel, which is our verse for today, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me by the Father. So what is Jesus going to do with that final judge authority? We'll find out here in today's readings. And we'll see very much connected to that mission of Jesus then, humility connected with repentance. We'll definitely see that here in our intro as well as our Old Testament reading, but it lies behind his challenge to the chief priests when he is challenged because he brings up the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the sinners, we might say, for whom he has always been attacked by being so close to them. But Jesus is going to really make the point strongly that the people recognize him as a prophet because he is calling for repentance. And what perhaps makes him even greater than a prophet is that his repentance is for the sake of bringing people into the kingdom of God. To borrow from Luke's gospel, it's exactly what he says at the end of Luke's gospel, that he wants repentance 
for the forgiveness of sins to be preached to all people. So let's get into the intro at Psalm 147. Yes, so the antiphon from verse 6, and then we jump back to verse 1. The Lord lifts up the humble, he casts the wicked to the ground. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem, he gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of their stars, he gives to them all their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Glory be to Father, Son, and Spirit. The first antiphon from verse 6 is a contrasting psalm verse. We don't always have that. Sometimes they build on each other. Here it's an utter contrast. So he lifts up the humble, but he casts down the wicked to the ground. Sounds very much like Mary singing in the Magnificat. We'll see then the sinners that Jesus mentions, tax collectors and prostitutes that enter into the kingdom before the priests and the elders of the people. And the reason will be because they are humble, specifically in repentance. They hear the Lord's word and they believe it and they take it to heart, whereas the elders are opposing it at every step, as we'll see today in the gospel. We have another verse that returns. We had Psalm 147 already on proper 15a, and that was this phrase, that the Lord builds up Jerusalem, he gathers the outcasts of Israel. It fits very beautifully here because it reminds us, I suppose, of our location in the gospel reading in Jerusalem, but also that what is the nature of the Lord's erecting and undergirding Jerusalem? It's not going to be with stones. It's not going to be with human earthly might. It's going to be by healing the brokenhearted, by binding them up, by saving them, by forgiving them, and giving them a name that endures, namely the name of Jesus Christ. The great authority of the Lord, it is put to work to raise up the humble and to help them. And I think having that theme on our minds will help us as we look at authority and judgment, but see this even though today is definitely going to be focused a little more on the repentance and call to repentance, we should not lose sight of the purpose of it, which is for restoration, which is what the Lord has come to do. How does the collect read? Almighty God, you exalted your son to the place of all honor and authority. Enlighten our minds by your Holy Spirit that confessing Jesus as Lord, we may be led into all truth through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. This collect is perhaps drawn from another collect that is a prayer for the Holy Spirit, although it definitely shows evidence that's been adjusted to fit with today's text. It brings a few of these themes in. So we see the authority that the Son has been exalted to the place of honor and authority. Again, I think that's heightened if only we could remember the context of the gospel to see how he has come in humble, how his entry into Jerusalem to the praises of the children is not nearly as important as his resurrection at the end of the gospel, which is the Lord's own imprimatur on him. We don't often think of the ascension connected with Matthew's gospel, but this collect is putting it into our minds again. And that's certainly what we'll see in the second part of today's gospel, the authority that Jesus has and what it's for. But also we have the mention of confessing Jesus as Lord. So the heart of the prayer is that the Holy Spirit would enlighten our minds 
and we see the purpose is that we could confess Jesus as the Lord. That certainly is what is said in the epistle. We want to do it now and not wait to the last day to be compelled uh, to bow our knees to him. Uh, but we are those who hear his word gladly, just as the sinners who enter into the kingdom in today's gospel do. Maybe the standout that doesn't seem to fit so well at first is that we would be led into all truth. This doesn't really seem like a day devoted to the word of God or to the truth of God. So it's not an obvious way to sum up all of the various themes today. I do think it can work, though, and I think it works maybe on a couple different levels. One, the truth word, amen, in the Bible is used of our sin. So we talk about confessing in three ways, and, and I think that'll help us understand the truth that the Lord is after here. We confess our sins, that is to agree and say amen to God's law that when it convicts us of sin. That's what the Old Testament reading in particular is going to put before us and what is behind Jesus' uh, praise of prostitutes and tax collectors. It isn't for their sins, it's for their honesty when confronted with God's law that they actually repented in his time. Second, we confess what is true, certainly the gospel. We want to believe in Jesus and his word. That maybe is not the highlight of today's readings, but as we'll see, the purpose of receiving instruction is to come away from the things that harm us, to leave the paths of our own choosing and our own authority and wisdom and instead to cling to Jesus and his authority and acknowledge it, not only as more powerful as if we're simply being subdued, but to acknowledge it as good and right for us, which is what faith does. It doesn't thank God for the forgiveness, but still kind of hold a grudge about it. It is delighted in that, and it abandons sin and delights in good works. So that's the last part maybe is from the epistle. It's just one little phrase, but I think it's a phrase that is well known and ought to be kind of one of our sayings that we want to hold fast to the word of life. Paul says that in the epistle. I think word of truth is a fine synonym for that. Maybe it brings us back to this colic. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. The Old Testament reading from Ezekiel 18 is next. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. journal. Just click the red journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. The Gospels report Jesus saying some rather shocking things. For instance, in Luke 14, he tells his disciples, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. How can Jesus say such things? What about some of the other more difficult teachings of Scripture? Do you have questions about them? Well, we answer many of these in the October issue of The Lutheran Witness. Pick up your copy today at cph.org slash witness. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Christological. Creedal. Confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc.
Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713-855-2681. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. The 18th Sunday after Pentecost, Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, is our guest. We come to the Old Testament reading, which is the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 18, selected verses. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine, and the soul who sins shall die. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not just. Well, hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. For the injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, when a wicked person turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he shall save his life, because he considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed. He shall surely live, and he shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, Every one according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live." This is really a key passage in Ezekiel's prophecy. It reminds us maybe of something we heard just a couple weeks ago, proper 18a, Ezekiel's 33's statements about the watchman's duty to save his own life, as it were, so long as he preaches honestly and truthfully and calls to repentance the person who has fallen into sin. By contrast, if the prophet should ignore that duty and not call them to repentance, that soul will die and the prophet will be held accountable for it. Here, Jesus is saying, obviously there's an urgency that is added on top to the duty of the prophet, 
but they were dealing with a different situation and understanding then. You'll find this proverb that's mentioned about the grapes and the teeth in Jeremiah 31, 29 also, and it's a little clearer to understand there. So you can see they're roughly contemporaries, and you can actually see very much how Jeremiah helps to clarify this. The meaning of the proverb is not really connected to sour grapes from Aesop's fables, but it has to do with the idea that the fathers eat something and the sons bear the punishment for it. It's the idea that was used not maybe as you think there where we're saying it's a shame that the parents do wrong and the kids have to suffer for it, but it was used the other way. Why should I be suffering because it's probably somebody else's problem. We would say, this is just good old-fashioned blaming your upbringing for your problems. And the problem with this, from the Lord's perspective, is this is a dodging of guilt. This is the opposite of repentance. This is refusing to acknowledge what you have done wrong. So the Lord brings it home and says, no, I hold each person accountable, so judgment ought to begin with you. Uh, I want you, whoever you are that I'm addressing, to repent. And this is always the purpose of the prophets in the Old Testament. It's to call people to repentance, each person, so that they would no longer pass off their sins on to others. Finally, that's then what the Lord is talking about with justice and injustice and the accusations of his people against him, which are totally backwards. It's no injustice for the Lord to forgive, and it's no injustice for the Lord to punish both. So as we see, he describes it that the person who turns away from righteousness into wickedness, that person bears punishment for their turning into wickedness. The opposite is true as well. Those who turn away from wickedness and enter into righteousness, they're not going to die for this. They're going to live for this. And I think it's very helpful he adds the clarification as he does in both cases. So the clarification on the person who shall live because he turns away from wickedness is because he considered, because he thought about it, because you could almost slip the word repent in here, and turned away from the transgressions so he shall live. Now, it says it in this way that they will save their life, that they will make themselves rescued and delivered. And I think sometimes that bothers us because we know the rest of the scriptures speak often about how we're dead in our trespasses and sins. It's not going to be our saving ourselves that accomplishes it. And that's fine. That's good to recognize. It's not necessary to understand this phrase, make yourselves this way in some kind of an active sense. Rather, this is an appeal from the prophet, very much like what Jesus says often and what John the Baptist say, repent and believe. Repent for the kingdom of hand is at near. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. This is an invitation to receive, to turn, to wake up before it's too late and to come and find and seek the salvation, just as we heard in last week's Old Testament reading. The contrast here is also sharpened, I think, and lays the ground for the gospel reading. So it's the Lord's argument with his people of Israel is not just, uh, I wish you would say you're sorry and you don't, but it's in fact that they refuse to acknowledge their sin and worse, they actually call God a sinner instead. They despise the Lord's way entirely. 
so the way the Lord presents it here is either people believe and they hear him and thus they receive the correction and they carry on into improvement as a result of the pardon they receive from God, or they're going to fight him tooth and nail every step of the way and ultimately die angry at God and burn for the rest of eternity, burn in their own anger at God's injustice, at least from their perspective. That is a stark division to have it absolutely polarized in that way. And I think we'll see that reflected in the great contrast between the sinners and the chief priests in the gospel. And we know this to be the case, that the difference between belief and unbelief is night and day. Paul really reflects this when he says in 2 Corinthians about how we have this aroma on us of life to some and of death to others. And there's not a whole lot of wiggle room in the middle there. So the same thing is true about God's word. When it's heard, when it's believed, you know, it has a profound effect. Repentance and forgiveness produce faith and faith produce good works. And altogether, we call this sometimes repentance because it's an entire change of not just mind, but life and work and direction as well. But for those who refuse to hear God's word, it's not just that they're kind of uninterested in it. They actually start to despise it and call God the liar. The Psalms talk about this. This is the difference of when the Lord finally wins a victory in us, like it says in Psalm 51, and we begin to justify him in our words and declare, no, you are the one who are right, and I'm the one who has sinned, Lord. And the Lord is pleased to hear this. This is the first part of that his law actually brings us by the Spirit's power to tell the truth for once. And then, of course, he ushers in the gospel, which tells us the truth of our sins that are forgiven, not by our own works, but by what he has done for us. I'm Todd Wilkin, your link to Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Pastor Denzer is a graduate of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. CTSFW will be hosting its Prayerfully Consider Fall Visit October 12th through the 14th. This free event allows men and women and their families to explore the vocations of pastor or deaconess. For more information, visit ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Prayerfully Consider October 12th through the 14th at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. We'll get into Psalm 25 as we go through the lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer next. You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. Issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod's life ministry is thousands of people sharing Christ's love and mercy and giving witness to our Lord's creation of life his design for marriage and the family, and the God-given value of all human life from conception to natural death. 
Working with many partners, LCMS Life Ministries sponsors human care efforts that meet the needs of body and soul and provides resources and educational events for all ages. To learn more, email lifeministry at lcms.org and visit lcms.org life. From New York's beautiful Hudson Valley, visit us at the Lutheran Church of Our Redeemer, Peekskill, New York a small, confessional, conservative Lutheran church with traditional Lutheran liturgical worship, gospel-rich, shenanigan-free. For more information, visit us at OurRedeemerLCMS.org. The Biblical Worldview Conference is Saturday, November 4th in Chicago. This year's theme is For Such a Time as This, Discernment, Boldness, and Compassion. Brian Wolfmiller, John Bombaro, and others will be speaking on gender-solid parenting, wokeism in schools, transgender pronouns, and sharing Christ in a woke culture. For more information, visit worldviewchicago.org. The Biblical Worldview Conference, November 4th in Chicago. worldviewchicago.org. Old Theology, New Technology. You're listening to Issues Etc., Issues Etc. guest Dr. Ben Mays of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Here's what Martin Luther says about the pastoral office. My pastor is practicing the virtue that increases God's kingdom, fills heaven with saints, plunders hell, robs the devil, wards off death, represses sin, preserves peace and unity, and plants all kinds of virtue in the people. In a word, he is making a new world. He builds not a poor temporary house, but an eternal and beautiful paradise in which God himself is glad to dwell. We are calling good men to step up. Come to Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, uh, the three-year lectionary has Psalm 25, verses 1 through 10, as the psalm for this coming Sunday. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he will teach sinners the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek he will teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. 
Psalm 25 is the most frequent psalm used in the historic lectionaries propers. It's used with less frequency, but still, I mean, here and there for sure in the three-year. It's also very familiar to us because that phrase from verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions, but out of your great mercy, remember us. This is quoted in the old general prayer that a lot of churches used without fail every single week. As a result, this psalm is well known to us, and it should be. It's a lament psalm for sure, calling out to God for rescue and rescue from our own sins and doing just what we ought to do, contrasting his mercy against our sins. This is a great corrective, I suppose, if anyone misunderstood the previous reading to suggest that seriously we were going to deliver ourselves or make ourselves right in some way. Of course not. It's the Lord's mercies, his steadfast love, his remembrance of us according to it that actually delivers us. So that's a nice addition and comment on what we've just heard. So we have a call that God would forgive our sins, the sins of our youth, but that he would also instruct us as well and lead us, like the colic said, into the way of truth a little bit, lead us into his ways rather than to fight against his word and therefore come under his judgment. I think we hear that in the Old Testament reading as well. Again, the sharp contrast, which I think of what Jesus said that They already have a judge, he says in John, my words, which they have heard, will judge them on the last day. Because either those words have been received and borne their fruit, or those words have been fought against tooth and nail, and those words become judgment. So notice how the authority of God, which is for good, which is for establishing what is right, and even finally for saving those who have gone astray, that same authority also then is what condemns and judges those who despise it. The epistle is Philippians 2, and as you said before, there is the option to read it through or to kind of skip through the middle. Yeah, I'm just going to read the whole thing. Is there any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy? Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, 
so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I think it's essential to have that center part that does make it a complicated reading if you're trying to tie all the readings together today, just because this is such a beloved and significant passage. Really, it speaks to Christology, the fact that Jesus Christ is at the same time God and man, and yet he does not always fully use his divine powers as a man, his humiliation, we call this as well as plenty for good works and sanctification that we take Christ as our example and imitate him in this humility, not for the salvation of the world, but for the good of our neighbors. So it does introduce plenty to get distracted by, we might say. But if we don't have that, I don't think we get why Paul is talking about having the same mind being united Sometimes it's a common thing to say that it's not necessary for the church to be united. Our strength is diversity, uh, has often been a, a slogan of various groups, and sometimes it works its way into the church too. That's by no means what Paul's saying here at all. At the same time, the kind of unity he's speaking about is not that we're all wearing the same clothes or that we have the same look to us, or necessarily that the exact same words are coming out of our mouths even but particularly that our minds are united, that we agree. And what is it we are to agree in? In Christ Jesus and his teaching. And to have the mind of Christ means not only to have his knowledge, but it means finally to have the same attitude and disposition that he has, the character of God, which is to love. John says this eloquently, we love because he first loved us. So helpful also, I think, since we have missed the context of Matthew's gospel, which is the triumphant and yet humble entry into Jerusalem. So this kind of makes up for that. Notice how in the midst of this kind of quest for power, we just heard that in Matthew's gospel previous, if we would have read it, about John and James asking for the seats of power next to Jesus, or as we'll see, the scuffle between Jesus and the chief priest really is over authority, I think because he is infringing on their perceived authority. In contrast to that, we have the attitude of Jesus, which is not to cling to his own authority, so to speak, not to grab onto it and say, you know, I can't let anybody think less of me or put me down. What's mine by right, I've got to hold on to with both hands. No, Jesus empties himself famously in this passage, that he sets aside his divine prerogatives for the sake of having mercy on others. This is his humiliation, that he doesn't always teleport around or appear in all places, but instead he is able to bear, according to his human nature, suffering, and in fact, even to die for us, even to the point of death, as it says here. We come then to Paul's kind of admonition, don't grumble, keep obeying. And Paul, you know, is concerned that he may never come back and may never leave Rome, which ends up being the case finally. And so he says that phrase to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It is definitely open to misunderstanding, especially if that's all you read. It's so greatly understood if you finish the sentence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So there's going to be some kind of effort being done. It's going to be to a man. Each of us are going to be doing this and all of us are going to be doing this together. But notice, 
because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Finally, this passage is not really about our working, certainly not our working to accomplish and win and earn our salvation, but that we are all going to face it. We're all going to suffer, as Paul's whole letter is, is couched in. And we're going to do it because God is the one at work in us. He's the one doing it. He comes not to destroy us, but to save us. That's what it means that he wills to will and to work in us according to his good pleasure. His pleasure is not the destruction of man, but that he would turn and be saved, as it said in Ezekiel. And that's very encouraging to us. That is the message that encourages us to carry on, not to give up, to continue to be of one mind in the spirit, to set aside all the seat, to not have to feel the urge to grab onto our own interests first and foremost at all costs, but in fact, be willing to suffer for the sake of others and to bear all things in the midst of a very crooked generation, confident that if we have the mind of Christ, that's the thing that will endure. So we see the distinction that's made, that we are going to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked generation. I suppose the darker it gets, the more Christianity shines as being unique and distinct. Now, not everybody likes the light, and many will try to extinguish it, as we'll see in the gospel too. But notice the means by which we're going to be shining. It's not going to be us. It's going to be holding fast to the word of life. That's going to be the source of it, is the word of God. It's going to be the, the message of the gospel. It's going to be the, the ways that the Lord lays out for us. So that's what's going to enable us to shine. That's what's going to sustain us as we, with fear and trembling, have a workaday life the rest of our life. But to have the mind of Christ is to have the source of this life and energy. You're listening to Issues Etc. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest, walking us through this coming Sunday according to the three-year lectionary. We'll get to the gradual and verse leading to the gospel reading next. There are at least two ways to see the Messiah's presence in the Old Testament. The chief would be the Lord's messenger. Dr. Reed Lessing, co-author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. The second way we see the presence of Jesus in the Old Testament would be through God's glory. Learn more about the Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com Sanctifying your commute with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com 
Then use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The Lord has sanctified us in the true faith. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. On this Monday afternoon, we are looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. Sean, what are the gradual and verse for this coming Sunday? We have a new one beginning this week and carrying on for a couple weeks from Psalm 91 and from Psalm 103. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. So you can see angels are mentioned. It's timely because this Sunday will always fall closest to St. Michael and All Angels Day, which is the 29th of September. Now, this is another place, just like the proper way of handling the summer part of the church year is new to the three-year lectionary. So also, this kind of season or a small season called a tide sometimes is handled differently as well. A tide traditionally follows a feast day. So technically, there is a Christmas tide, there is an Easter tide, there is a Michael tide, but there cannot be an Advent tide, despite the hymn that mentions that, because there is no Advent day. So it follows a feast. Epiphany tide would be a good one, Ascension tide, etc. We're not quite following St. Michael's Day. We're just observing that this is the Sunday closest to it, and it can, in fact, fall prior to St. Michael's. Even so, we're kind of acknowledging something that doesn't always happen historically, and that is to kind of mix the sanctoral calendar that deals with the saints and observances of the church and the church year calendar, which is centered around first the life of Christ in the first half and the work and the teaching of Jesus in his church in the second half. What can we say about this gradual? Well, we see the ways of God that are tied to God's word and authority. This passage is the one that is quoted by Satan, remember, when he tempts Jesus. He says, don't you know it's written, he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you and to keep it so you won't dash your foot? He actually doesn't have that phrase, to guard you in all your ways. I think that's helpful to see that that's the part the devil didn't want to say. That's the part that made his scripture passage speak against him. And we learn something then about what our ways are to be. This should not be understood. The angels are going to come and protect you in whatever way you want to do, whatever you want to do. Jump off a cliff, be a daredevil. It's okay. The angels will guard you in whatever way you should choose to do. No, that's not the point. Our ways must be the ways laid out by the scriptures. We see in the Old Testament reading in particular, not the way I choose, but the ways in Christ Jesus. In fact, Paul uses that phrase as well in 1 Corinthians 4, 17. He says, Timothy's going to come and remind you of all my ways in Christ, which is a fascinating way to put it. 
but this is to say the angels of God are guarding us and keeping us in the ways that the Lord has laid out for us, which we who delight in his authority, because we know by it our sins are forgiven, we're eager to be kept in those ways. And I think the second half is a great response to that. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let me, with all I can, bless his name. The Gospel reading, Matthew 21, beginning at verse 23. And we lead into it with the verse, which is not from the gospel at all, but from the end of Matthew's gospel. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, that's to Jesus. And that definitely sets before us the idea that the authority of Jesus is going to be worth considering. At the end, we know that the Father has assigned the duty of judge to Jesus. Therefore, what does the judge want to do? Actually, he wants to declare everyone innocent by his death and resurrection, so he sends out his apostles to proclaim it. But we'll see that authority is challenged even before the Lord has accomplished the authority-wielding deeds of his death and resurrection. So from Matthew 21, When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I will tell you also by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he'll say to us, Why then did you not believe him? And if we say, From man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir but he did not go. Now, which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. So we have two parts here. We have the by what authority back and forth, and then we have Jesus responding to them for the purpose of pointing out that they should have changed their mind like the sinners and tax collectors did. It's necessary for us to recall John the Baptist's ministry. It talks about how people are confessing their sins being baptized, and John's message is given in Matthew's gospel, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Elsewhere, it says in the Gospels that the baptism was preached and it was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, which I think is quite clear of what it means and why Jesus would reference it here. His ministry was centered in calling people who were sinners to repent, to recognize their sins and to turn away from them and to seek the Lord where he may be found. This is the thoroughly prophetic message. We heard it echoed in Ezekiel. We know that Jeremiah was preaching the same thing. Isaiah has said similar things as well. 
And that's the office that John the Baptist has. He was a prophet and more than a prophet. He's the last one, the Elijah who is to come, Jesus said. And this is the one then who testified also to Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ is the one who has the great authority. Remember, John could barely even unbuckle Jesus' sandals. That's how much authority this one who comes after him is to have. So this has been preached and should have been believed, and yet it wasn't. They come out and Jesus calls them a brood of vipers who warned you to escape the wrath because they weren't doing it. They weren't coming out to hear John gladly and to repent. They were coming out to spy on it, to see what was going on, to see if maybe their authority was being challenged. Well, we are always being challenged when the Lord preaches his law by his prophets to call us to repentance. Jesus then has this very interesting parable about the two sons, right? Which is better, to be the one who said you'll do it and then you don't, or to be the one who said I'm not going to and then you went around and did it. And they give the answer and Jesus doesn't contradict it. But the will of the Father, remember that's the point of this, the will of the Father that's being demonstrated here is more than just doing the right thing. Again, we've had so much talk about works today in the passages, and yet all of these are works showing that faith and hearing of God's word and taking it to heart has taken place. Or, by contrast, it won't be a lack of a couple works that will condemn somebody in this case. It's going to be the fact that those who lack works because they don't believe also despise Jesus and finally attack him as these chief priests and Pharisees are doing. So the will of God here is not just doing the right thing. It's changing your mind. It's coming to repentance. What's contrasted to that, to repentance, is this strange combination of conceit and entitlement that the leaders have. So they have to pride themselves on being sons of the kingdom, and yet all the while they're not sons who are interested in accomplishing the things that God wants in his kingdom. They're not interested in yielding the fruits of that kingdom. The fruits of the kingdom that Jesus wants to point out are missing are not even great works. It's not conquering the Romans. It's not uh, being holy. It's not keeping Leviticus you know, with the best possible ceremonies. No, he points out their lack of repentance, first and foremost, that they don't change their mind. Uh, it's a different phrase than just repentance, what we translate as repentance, metanoia. But we see here how similar and how much those words ought to be. So the prostitutes and the tax collectors, right, they're better, Jesus says. That is, they go in before. And in what way? Because they have more sin, so they have more sins to be forgiven? Is this sin more so that grace may abound? That's not the point of comparison at all for Jesus. His point is, you would not have expected these people to be saved. I totally agree with you. But they heard the word of God, and the word of God took root in them. Why won't you let the word of God take root in you? Even after you saw the example, an amazing thing of a gross incredible sinner being forgiven and coming to the Lord, that didn't inspire you also to repent? This is why the Lord is is very harsh with them. And this is only the beginning. We've got a whole week of battling with Pharisees and Jesus. About 30 seconds for your thoughts on the hymn of the day, Lord, keep us steadfast. Uh, it's a good hymn about the Word of God. I suppose it's a prayer uh, that we wouldn't fall into the trap we see. It does mention in the stanza that we wish your power would be made known, Lord, because you are Lord of Lords alone. I think that's a nice connection to the gospel and the epistle. 
I'd urge you to consider also hymn 614, As surely as I live, God says. It almost quotes Ezekiel passage. It quotes it from another place in Ezekiel. But it's all about confession and absolution. And I think it's a wonderful way to tie in this prophetic message, this Old Testament Ezekiel the desire of God is not, in fact, to condemn people and have them reject his word, but that they would hear his word, be saved, because that's what he's come to do. And that hymn does a great job of teaching us the very nuts and bolts, practical matters of confession, absolution. So repentance can't become this nebulous thing that, you know, because it's not tied down, actually never happens. But instead, we can repent and we can do it in a concrete way so that we don't fall into that trap. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thanks. My pleasure. Tuesday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss the rebranding of the National Abortion Rights Action League with E.V. Osmed of the Susan B. Anthony List. It's This Week in Pop Christianity with Chris Rosebro, and we'll look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, talking with Pastor Peter Bender about the healing of a man on the Sabbath and the parable of the wedding feast in Luke chapter 14. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Join us September 29th at 7 p.m. for a hymn festival celebrating the Feast of St. Michael and All Angels at Good Shepherd Lutheran in Collinsville, Illinois. Hymn commentary will be provided by Pastor Will Whedon, host of the Word of the Lord Endures Forever podcast, along with organist Chris Lemker, orchestra, and choir. For more information or to register to sing in the choir, visit our website withangelsandarchangels.org.